Hey, if you got your Bibles or technology out, uh, go ahead and begin to find Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 2. I'm going to be reading a portion of the Christmas story or the Christmas narrative account, starting in Matthew's Gospel. I know it's that time of year. It's the Advent season, it's called, and it's good to hear the familiar passages dealing with uh, the coming of the Lord, the birth of Jesus Christ himself. I, I had to think of ways as I was considering the end of the year, Christmas, and finishing a season, which is sort of the series, it's the unintended series, it just sort of cropped up that way, uh, how all of that fits together, and I believe in in, uh, in God's ways, and as the Holy Spirit does these things, I'm finding a way to kind of connect some concepts of the Christmas story with regards to what you and I are walking through when it comes to finishing a season. In fact, as we mentioned last week, I've been on this for two weeks now. On Thanksgiving Sunday, as you'll recall, I talked about being grateful for your season. No matter what season you're in, if it's a good season or a bad season, you need to be grateful for your season. And there are reasons for that. Uh, last week, we talked about how to finish a season, and uh, I don't usually hawk my sermons or push them on people, but if you have not had an opportunity, you can go to social media pages and you can hear it either repeated on the Facebook Live thread or it's now on YouTube. Uh, please uh, take opportunity to listen to that because sometime in your life, and you know this to be true, you'll have to finish a season. You're going to have to close a season out in your life. Everybody will do it on several different levels and fronts. And I, I think that was exceedingly helpful. It's been helpful to me. I've just been preaching where I've been walking. And so obviously it has been helpful uh, to me. And I want to also mention, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the story here in just a moment. I want to mention that I received a message through Messenger and Facebook in fact, Chris, uh, Chris Roberts, you just key in for just a moment. I just wanted to encourage you, let you know that sometimes I know you're back there helping us with the YouTube, facilitating YouTube. But I have a friend that watches consistently. In fact, we have many friends that watch consistently, and I never hear from them. Uh, but he dropped me a note, and uh, he told a story that I'm going to tell here momentarily about how impactful that was to him about the conclusion of a season. And I am reminded, and I just want you to know in these last weeks, and I want you to be encouraged to be reminded that you're helping to facilitate some things that are reaching out to people all over, uh, really the globe. And when I get a note like that, that says, man, that was speaking to me at just the right moment and the right time, I just want to pass that along because I couldn't do it if you weren't back there helping me to facilitate that. So I appreciate you. I appreciate that very, very much. And I'll tell that story in just a moment. But as I just share with you these things, um, I was reminded of a, of a scripture, and it's not on the screen, and it just came to me as I was praying this morning. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. I may not be able to quote it exactly, uh, but Paul says these words. He says, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he says, for in due season, isn't that an interesting word? He uses the word kairos, which means opportune moment, season. For in due season, you will reap if, condition, you faint not. 
What's he saying? He's saying this, that, that whatever season you're in, God will manifest the fullness of the blessing of that season. And I know it's hard sometimes to believe that if you're in a challenging, difficult season that there could even be a hidden blessing there, but I assure you there will be. He says that if you'll not faint, in other words, if you'll finish well, you will reap. Remember, it's not how you start, it's, one more time, it's not how you start, it's how, how you finish, how you finish. So we're going to continue that today uh, with our message. I want to tell you the story about this gentleman that sent me the note uh, through Facebook Messenger. He dropped me this encouraging note uh, because he watches us on YouTube, and it just so happens that he works in the field of mental health. I, I don't know if, if he's a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I don't know if he's just perhaps a licensed counselor. I don't know his stature, but I know he works in the field. He keeps busy in this field, and it's his full-time occupation in the field of mental health. And so he's been tuning in, listening to messages all through the years, but he's been listening to these last couple of messages. And what he was doing was, he was writing to me, he said, Kevin, you've got to put this in book form. Now, I don't know how many people have looked at me through the years and say, said, write a book, write a book, write a book. I understand, and I'm almost in disobedience, I know that. But writing a book is not easy, at least the way I want to write it. Some people write books, you know, every two weeks, but, you know, it, it usually shows in their book. Uh, but I, I'm going to do it right, and he said, you've got to, to, to write in this area. And the reason he was excited, and I never really thought about it until he mentioned it, was that as a mental health provider, he said, I'm quoting him, one of the biggest problems he sees is the inability of people to transition their seasons of life. Now, he's, I'm not, he's not a pastor. I think he, he has been a pastor. Let me just say he has been a pastor. And I guess I should say he may be pastoring at the moment. I don't think so. But I think his primary job is in the mental health field. And he says he continually looks and deals with people who do not have the ability to transition their seasons of life. He writes to me, we are living in a time period where things are changing at an unprecedented, unprecedented pace. Things change fast. Old, dysfunctional, lumbering systems, organizations, companies are getting clobbered. Is that not true? We mentioned this last week. Is it not true that Amazon is killing everybody by way of a business model? And things are changing so fast. I was talking with my sister-in-law uh, last night as we were going to the grocery store. And I've not done this. I think I heard Andrew and Deborah may have done this one time. You, you go online and you order from Walmart and they bring it out to you. And you, you see, I've been in Walmart. And honestly, I heard that they did this online, bring it out to you. But I was a little bit afraid that I'd be sitting in the parking lot for an hour or two. But I've heard these reports coming back, as you have given the report, that they've done amazingly well. And now I'm watching Target. I'm watching other stores do the exact same thing. That you can literally order whatever you want online, drive up, text in, and they'll bring it out to you like short order. And it's becoming now a new business model. And, and, and it's, and it's going to clobber 
if, if you're going to have a store and not have that available, you're, you're going to be run out of business because things change that fast. Think about technology. Think about what was once 10 years ago, just 10 years ago, what was a state-of-the-art piece of technology. It is now obsolete. I was watching on Netflix. We just finished watching the series of West Wing. I like West Wing. It has a political thing to it. I watched seven seasons of West Wing in about a 30-day time period. You just, you just gorge on a show if you have Netflix. But th that, that show probably started in the early 2000s, and it may have ran till 2000, maybe five or seven, maybe it was prior to that. I don't know the exact dates, but I know it was <clears throat> at least 10 years ago, and everybody's using their they're flip phones. And I thought to myself, how obsolete is that? How? That's just 10 years ago. And now if you have a flip phone, you can't even do business with people because of your needs that have to take place on, of course, an iPhone or an Android or whatever it is they have. And my daughter just recently was able to upgrade to a new phone. And I'm looking at what her phone now does. And it's like, this is amazing. My whole point is this. Things are changing so fast that people are reeling. They are literally reeling. Because nobody wants to admit, this is he's writing to me, nobody wants to admit that their business, their company, their product, or their service has run its course. And so they're blowing gaskets in their mind and they're having to see mental health providers in order to figure out how do I transition in this fast-paced, changing environment. I heard that and I thought to myself, I'd be, I'd be willing to bet, because I've already come in contact with enough, I'd be willing to bet that even in church life, we scramble, we are constantly scrambling to figure out how in the world we transition in a time period that by the time we get it right, it's already changed. It's run its course. The Ecclesiastes writer told us that everything has what? A season. Everything has a season. Every natural thing has an expiration date. You have an expiration date. You are not going to live forever, nor will I live forever, save the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way we'll get out of it. If he doesn't show up, we've got an expiration date. And that is by God's design. Do you understand? We die by God's design. It wasn't necessarily his original intent, but because of the curse and because of how time now entered into the factor because of the fall, hear me when I say this, God's design is that he's only promised, according to the psalmist, three score and ten, about 70 years is, is our promise. And, and nowadays, you know, you know, 40s the new 30, 50s the new 40, 60s the new 50. Bishop, once we get in our 70s, it's the new 60s. So praise God that we're living longer. But even God said, I'm only going to promise you a certain amount of time. Everything has its time. And so the question arises, how do I finish a season? Because no one tells us how to do this. Nobody or if they have, I, I don't know that I've heard it, 
has explained to us how do I finish a season. Because biblically, I could show you with, with numerous examples, biblically, not everybody finished so well. So, last week we talked about <clears throat> how to finish a season. I want to talk about today what the Lord's uh, just been working with me. I've just been reading the scripture, asking the Lord, hey, teach me what you're teaching me in this time period that I'm walking in, legacies walking in. And, and so I've entitled this morning, Refusing to Let Go of a Season. Refusing to Let Go of a Season. Let's read a Christmas passage, shall we? Out of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, it really begins the Christmas story. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Can I, I'm going to stop there for just a moment and, 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 and tell you something you may not have known. But do you realize that these kings that, that or these magi, the wise men, that traversed from Persia in order to find Jesus, the reason they came from Persia was the 70 years that the Jews were in captivity in the Persian region, they were able to influence and affect enough people that when they were released from their captivity and were able to go back home, they left a deposit of righteousness and godliness there in Persia to where now, centuries later, there's a group of magi who had enough poured into them through the centuries that there was enough spirituality that they knew something was up. Is that not interesting? Why do I say that? Is because if you're ever in a season of captivity, you never know that you're not leaving a deposit for someone else to pick up. Think about that. We're all wanting to get out of that season, and maybe God put us in that season because there's something we need to be doing. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail. So they've come to worship the Christ child because they've seen his star in the east. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Not only he was troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. Without a doubt, the Christmas story represents the greatest seasonal shift or seasonal change imaginable. What we know is a whole religion, a whole culture was about to get a serious makeover. Things you counted on were about ready to vanish. For the longest time, I used to be really hard on the Jews and hard on the people of the first century uh, because I never understood why they couldn't get it. And then, you know, you pastor 35 years and you hang around God's people and then it's no mystery. God's people don't get things easily. And when you think about something like the temple, which was actually uh, birthed out of God's revelation to create a house of the Lord, a temple, and now it's being said that this whole thing's going to be destroyed, you can understand or at least have a little compassion with regards to why their mind would go tilt. Their season was changing. It was going to be a massive change. Things you thought were God and would last forever are about to change. And this seasonal shift is putting everybody on edge. It's pressing everyone's comfort zones. It's pressing the church's comfort zone. It's, it's pressing secular comfort zones. Maybe, 
Maybe the whole reason, I have wondered this, the whole reason we are so on edge and the reason our fuses are so short as a culture, the reason we're just so snarky and nasty and angry as a culture is because we're in the middle of a seasonal shift and we're not getting it. Maybe America is shifting and we're just not understanding what's happening and it's put us all on edge. The Greek word for troubled actually means uncertain, fear, dread, distressed, anxious, restless, agitated. Boy, does that not describe our current culture. But that's exactly how Herod was feeling, and it's exactly how all of Jerusalem was feeling. Troubled in the Greek is tarasso. It, it, it can literally mean, if you can get this picture in your head, it's like, it's like you have a, a pool of water or, or a pond, maybe. It has to be of size enough that, that it could be stirred up. Imagine maybe a bucket of water would maybe be a better illustration, but sticking a stick in a bucket of water and, and stirring it up or agitating up that water. That's exactly how Herod and all of Jerusalem was feeling. It was feeling as if their life, their insides, everything they've counted on, it's all getting stirred up. It, it's stirring the pot. Have you ever met someone that stirred the pot? Well, there you go. And here's the deal. God himself was changing the seasons. And he was stirring the pot. And not everybody was on board. Some were on board, and you'll see that in the Christmas story. There were certain ones that were on board, but most of the people in that time period were not on board. It's interesting to me that as this season is changing, that both Joseph, who had to deal with a betrothed to be wife, who was supernaturally uh, impregnated, conceived with the Christ child, as well as Zacharias, who was married to Elizabeth, who had a remarkable supernatural pregnancy as well. In order for them to shift seasons in what God was doing, he had to send them both an angel. The only way they got through it was they got an angel. And the angel spoke to Joseph, and Joseph, I, he had a, enough willingness or yieldedness to be able to respond and say yes to the Lord. So he responded in a positive way to the Lord. But Zacharias, on the other hand, when he heard that, he laughed and the angel zipped his lips. Now here's a really important point. Now the Lord didn't send me an angel and I don't know that he sent any of you an angel. But I want to be a Joseph that can respond to a seasonal shift and not a Zacharias. He gave the prophets... He had given them scripture. He had given the stars to the priests and to the magi. The magi understood what was going on, and, and they walked in order to find the Christ child. They understood this season is changing. They took the trip, but the rest of Jerusalem, they were troubled. They weren't about, and they were closer. Finishing a season and starting a new one, I think, can be a tricky deal. And I believe that in our circles, now I'm talking now, to you all, and, and many of those that watch are a part of our circles, and when I say our circles, what I'm talking about are, are those that would call themselves charismatic or Pentecostal 
or full gospel or spirit-filled or whatever today's label is. What is today's label? If, if I missed one, that's who we are. Whatever, this is the label. Whatever God's up to today, that's where I'm at. That's, that's the label. But that's our circles. And hear me when I say this. I think our circles, in some ways, are the most challenged when it comes to changing a season. The question arises as to how long do you ride a dead horse? How long do you rearrange deck furniture on a Titanic, thinking that the new look will somehow stop the inevitable? I have used through the years this farm analogy. I was sent to the farm during the summers of my high school years, from the time I was 12 years old to the time I was 18 years old. Legacy folks have heard my farm stories at Infidim. But, but my parents during the summer would send me to the farm for three months. All of my uncles were farmers in central and western Kansas. They were high acreage, big deal farmers. And they'd send me off there. And I, and I don't know whether I really liked it a lot at the time, uh, but the fact is it did give me a little bit of a work ethic and it helped me understand agrarian society. And, and working on the farm gave me a host of illustrations that have been helpful through the years in order to communicate to congregations. But they would send me to the farm for three months. And in that three-month time period, it wasn't the whole year, but you learned a lot. In that three-month time period, several things would take place. You'd have to evaluate where your wheat was at. You would drill wheat. They don't call it planting wheat. They call it drilling wheat. You drill wheat in really September. And then it would stay in the ground and go through the winter. And it would actually, your best wheat would need a snow on it. And the snow would, would uh, fall on it. And, of course, the moisture would go. And then in the spring, the wheat would begin to grow. It would begin to change colors. Uh, the moisture would begin to get into the heads of the wheat. And you knew when it was time to harvest when the wheat heads would drop. And when those wheat heads would drop, that was the indicator that it was time to go ahead and harvest the grain. And there was like a two-week, top three-week window that you had to pull that grain in. You couldn't get it too early because if you got it too early, it was wet. And if you took wet wheat into town and you put it in those tall Quonset towers, that if you ever go through the Midwest, you see in every town, they have those grain, those metal grain bins. If the wheat was wet and went in there, it would mildew and mold and, and it would be no good. But you couldn't wait too long because then if it got dry, it'd have no substance. It would just be this, this, empty, this empty shell. So there really was an art to harvesting at the right moment. And I remember my uncle would take the combine and he'd make a swath, maybe just a one-line swath, and pull it out. And they had this probe that you could take down to the co-op and they could probe it and weigh it and they could figure out if it was time. But if you were harvesting thousands of acres, you can imagine that some of your early grain was probably a little wet and some of your latter grain would be a little dry and you just had to make it work so when it all got mixed up, it ended up being the right, you know, the right moisture content. So there were intricacies in farming that I never got. Now, I'd get there in May, and so you knew harvest was coming up. But if your wheat wasn't right, what you do is you would sow oats into your wheat so that the oats, which took a lot less time to grow, would come up, and you could cut that off, and you could roll it and use it for cow feed if your wheat wasn't going to be what you thought it was going to be. Uh, you might also do some rotary hoeing on your, on your silo, on your milo, excuse me, silo, milo fields. Um, and, and, and then, of course, there was harvest, and then after harvest, you would plow. 
and, and you turn over the straw in order that you could start the whole process again. But hear me when I, I, I took so much time telling you things you really don't care about. But here's the deal. A farmer, this is interesting, a farmer had to do what the season demanded of him to do. Now this is what we don't get. You see, we get in a drilling season where we have to be drilling and sowing, and I don't know, uh, Pastor Fred, I, I feel like pastors are in a lot of drilling seasons. We do a lot of planting, it feels like. But here's the deal. You cannot, as a charismatic farmer, stand in the middle of your field when it's drilling season and cry out to God that you're demanding a harvest season. You cannot demand something of the season that the season cannot produce. You can't bind the principality over your field that's holding back the harvest when it's a drilling season. This is the part we don't get, I believe, as full gospel people. We understand the principles of faith, the principles of confession. We believe the Holy Spirit is at work. We believe signs and wonders follow them that believe. We believe in the present activity of the Holy Spirit. We believe God can do some amazing, outlandish, over-the-top, out-of-the-box, miraculous things in our life. But here's the deal. Some of us fight seasons thinking we're fighting the devil. And I don't know that it's always the devil. I think, I think there are seasons that we got to understand that God's purposes for our life in that season is more important than what we feel like our ultimate purpose or destiny is. L let me tell you, Paul said in Galatians, you will reap in due season. In other words, you will find your purpose. You will get to your destiny. You will embrace all of God's best and his plans for your life. I believe that with all of my heart. But hear me when I say this. It's if I faint not in the seasons that are working things not only for me and in me, but also through me because the whole thing isn't just about me. That's Christianity. We're not here just for our best life. We're here to be conduits through which the kingdom flows in order that we can be a benefit to the Lord and bring glory to his name. It's not just about you and it's not just about me. And we tend to get lost in this. We tend to believe somehow or another, and I think we've assimilated some poor theology, that we can somehow take authority over our season either by our faith or by our confession, and we demand that our season change. And I think we got to get a picture of a farmer that is calling forth something in a season that he just can't demand of that season. God is changing seasons in people's lives, hear me, and we refuse to let the last one go. It happens all of the time. I remember when. I wish I could go back to then. There comes a moment you have to let the season go in order to get to the next season that he has for you. Because if you refuse to let the last one go, you're going to do it to your own detriment. 
Now, I wrote down here, I suppose the other side of the pendulum is to rush a season or try to force a season. So there's, there's two equal and opposite errors here. We, we refuse to let a season go, but we try to force a season or rush a season that we may not yet need to get into at that particular moment. You understand what I'm saying? We, we aren't letting it go. It's, it's like driving a car. You can't drive a car in a rearview mirror. you got to keep your eyes out the front of the window. But at the same time, you, you, you can't mash down the accelerator to get to your destination or someone's going to write you a ticket and stop you along the way. In fact, rushing a season, I've used this for years. You know, All of my children, at some time in their life, were destined to drive. Now, I got to drive because I was on the farm at 12 years old, and they, when you're on the farm, as soon as your leg is long enough that you can push down a clutch, you're on the tractor, or you're driving the pickup. That's just how it worked back in my day. And so my boys heard those stories, and of course, any boy that gets 12, 13 years old, they're ready to start holding the steering wheel and drive, the, drive something with an engine on it. And they would bug me. They would bug me, Dad, Dad, can I drive? Can I do this? Can I back the car up in the driveway? Can I do this? Can I do that? And they were always, and if I had left it up to them, they would, have, they would have bugged me to not wait until they were 16 or however old, 17, that they have to be in order to drive. But they would have wanted me to toss them the keys in order that they could drive before it was that time in their life. Now hear me, what goes on before you get the car keys? You go and you get whatever the driving school is, you know, Sir Anthony's driving school, or what do they call those driving schools? I don't know. But anyway, you go to driving school, and then you have to go and, and take, you study the driver's manual, and then you have to go get evaluated by the state person who checks you out as to whether or not you can really do what you supposedly think you can do. So you've got to get through a few hoops before you're able to get to that next season to where you're an independent driver. Now hear me when I say this, if I would have thrown my boys the keys at 12 or 13 years old, they might have been absolutely thrilled to death that they had the keys to the destiny they had, which was to drive, but I would have been signing their death warrant. Because the first thing I can guarantee you, because I have the statistics to prove it, the first thing those boys would have done is to wrap that car around a tree. Don't rush a season. Let me tell you, I, I have done this through my life. Take it from a guy who's got the marks and the lessons to show you. I understand you're excited about getting to God's promise. You've got your word. You've got your promise. You've got your destiny. You've got the vision. You've got the picture. You're wanting to get there. I understand all of that. But you rush a season, it is as equally, equally problematic as it is to refuse to let go of the old one. And in the midst of all of our seasonal shifts here, I just think this is a relevant word because all of this exposes, all of this seasonal transition, it exposes what we may have never been able to see in ourselves or admitted in ourselves. And so let me just give you a couple things. All of us are going to change. Remember last week I told you all the variety of seasonal changes. All of you will face them sometime in your life. Here we go. Why people refuse to let a season go. Why people refuse to let a season go. Here we go. Number one is fear. 
The reason we won't let seasons go is fear. Why do we fear? Fear of the unknown. What's it going to look like in the future? I don't know about you. I've got a few of these that I've worked through. What's it going to look like? I've been a pastor for 35 years. I was thinking as I was driving to church today that in just a few short weeks, nobody's ever going to call me pastor again. Or they don't have to. I guess they could. Are you following me, though? Fear. Fear of inadequacy. What about fear of failure? Maybe I should just stay in this season because I'm at least, I know I can at least handle this season. But I'm, they're fears. This is why people refuse to let go of an old season. They are seized by fear. You know, you know the antidote to, uh, the antidote to this is God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In order to get your inheritance, you're going to have to press into the next season. Reason people refuse to let go is because of assumptions of the upcoming season. Here's the, here's the hard part. Most of us are wired negatively. We assume the worst. We always assume there's going to be a trap door, there's going to be a ditch, there's going to be something that's going to be out there that I just don't want to have to deal with in that new season. How do you know that? How do you, how do you know that's true? You don't know that's true. Will there be challenges? There are challenges in every season. But we don't want to shift because we assume the negative. We assume also it doesn't fit my time or my plan. This isn't what I thought. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just being transparent in these days because I, I can afford to be. I can't tell you that times I've simply said these words. I don't know that I painted I'm, I'm headed towards 60 years old, and I can tell you 30 years ago, a lot of what I'm walking through in these days is not what I had painted in my mind's eye when I was 30. There was another picture that I had painted. Now, that might have been some of it the Lord. It might have been some of it that I just misunderstood or didn't understand. But the fact of the matter is we want to lay hold of some things because, because a new season might not fit your time or plans. I always remind myself that my life is not my own. The third reason we don't <clears throat> uh, change seasons is because of connections. I call it connections. We're connected to the past or we're connected to the routine. Why don't I change seasons? Why don't I step out? Why don't I try something new? Because I like my routine. I get up, I do this, I'm able you know, to go to work, do my job, I'm checking off all the boxes. I do a routine, and my routine becomes my gate that stops me from going into a new season. I will assure you, a new season will break your routine. And all I would say to that is praise the Lord. Routine. Routine has its place. Routine can be disciplined. Routine can have good things about it. But the fact of the matter, routine becomes a thief because that's familiar. And God hasn't called you to walk according to the familiar. He's called you to walk by faith. And faith doesn't always have everything routinely mapped out. And, and so we don't want to shift a season because, because I'm connected to this thing. And I'm telling you, God is going to challenge that, especially if you're going to get 
to promises and inheritances. And finally, number four, why people don't let a season go is because of unbelief. Pure and simple. There's lack of faith. There's just no trust. I don't, I don't believe. I don't believe God. I don't believe the exhortation. I just don't believe that this next season is going to be any better. And here's what I'm going to say. I don't know if the next season will be better. I don't know if the next chapter of the book will be better. But I do know the next chapter of the book you have to walk through in order to get to the good chapter that ultimately is there. You can't skip. You're in chapter 6. You want to skip chapter 7 so you can get to chapter 8. That doesn't work that way. There's just no faith or no trust. Or there's a lack of passion or a lack of enthusiasm with regards to the changing of a season. I just don't have the energy. I don't have the enthusiasm. I don't know that I want to do this anymore. Listen, uh, I think Zacharias's problem and even to some extent Abraham's problem at times was the fact is they looked at themselves, they said they were old, and they just didn't have the enthusiasm in order to participate in the promise of God. And we've got to understand there are seasons, and that season we need to be passionate about. I can simply say from my point of view is this, and I process probably 100 emotions in the last, I don't know, 120 days. I have, I have processed numbers of emotions. And I'm not saying that I was, I was instantly in a place. I, I told you last week that I literally broke down and wept at an attorney's office. I would never, Kevin Baird doesn't do those things. Do you know how often Kevin Baird cries in public? You all know. You could count them on one hand probably in 22 years. So you know for me to have wept in an attorney's office I'm telling you, I'm processing all kinds of emotions. But hear me when I say this. Processing is not wrong. Processing is perfectly okay. It's when you get paralyzed or when you get petrified. That's when it becomes wrong. You you, you paralyze or you petrify because, because therefore you don't have to process anything else but the moment. And as long as this moment stays the same, I'm okay. But I'm here to tell you that God is not the God of, of, of this petrified. God is a God of pursuit. He, he is a God of processing. He's a God of a journey. And we've got to keep journeying with him. And I believe things are built. And I, 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 there's, there's a purpose and a time and a season for everything. But the fact of the matter is you got to find your passion again wherever you're at. If you're a young man or a young woman, a lot of times enthusiasm is easier to muster. Sometimes you get older and the passion and the enthusiasm can wane. I can attest to that too. But the truth of the matter is if you want to get to your next season, you got to find that passion again in order to begin to move forward. And this is the hard part. God asks that you diagnose yourself honestly. This is the hard part. Because few of us can diagnose ourselves truthfully. We always give ourselves, usually, the break. Now, it isn't for your detriment, but this is for your destiny. Your life is not your own. The Lord is leading you on a journey. Your life is a book. Your book is going to have many chapters. It's going to have many seasons. You cannot cling to chapters. You can't, you can't refuse to let go of that chapter. I, I remember there was a time in Legacy that we had about a five-year time period in Legacy 
that there was peace and there was harmony and there was unity and we got a lot of things done and everybody was loving each other and every cylinder was cooking and popping and things were rolling and people would ask me, especially pastor friends, they'd say, how's it going? And I'd say, listen, I'm in a good season. I'm in a peaceful season and I'm going to ride this wave with every ounce I can get out of it. Because these seasons don't last forever. But if it's a surfboard on a wave, I'm going to let that wave push me as far up on that beach as it can push me. And then I may have to jump off that board and walk into my new season. Because in order to get to the last chapter, I'm going to have to go through every chapter. Refusing to let a season go has some built-in ramifications that are not good. Now, here's, here's the point that you hate to make. You, you, how many of you know God, the Lord does this, and it's true, most of us do this in our parenting. We try to parent our kids one of two ways, with either a carrot or a stick. We, listen, I'm not joking when I say this. We either try to give them M&Ms to get them potty trained, or eventually we're going to have to begin to tap their bottoms. I mean, I'm just, I'm just being honest. I want you to learn this, my son or my daughter. I want you. Here's the m M&M. and I'll never forget trying to teach Clay uh, how to be potty trained. He'd, he'll really enjoy this. This is going on on public airwaves. Um, but we bought him one of those big wheels. Have you, you remember big wheels when they were this big front wheel, and then you kind of sit low, and he, he acted like he wanted one. So we bought this big wheel, and we had this thing on the refrigerator. And if you'll go potty X amount of times on the potty, and we'll check off the things, you get three or four checks, whatever it was, you know, we'll give you the big wheel. And here's the deal. He looked at it, and he goes, I don't want it. I don't want it. He'd rather go to the bathroom in his pants. I know we laugh at it, but here's the truth. Some of us would rather be in a season where we're going to the bathroom in our pants than to rise up, do something new, and walk into a different season. I could have said that whole phrase there a whole lot differently. But aren't you glad they said, I still have some decorum. There are examples of people that didn't let go of their season. Herod wouldn't let go of his season, would he? Jerusalem and the Jews wouldn't let go of their season. Zacharias wouldn't let go of his season. Hey, how about this guy? King Saul. He wouldn't let go of a season. So let's, let's talk about some of the repercussions, and I'm going to do this quickly. God has sent the latter rain to us today. To give us a sign gift that's saying, listen to the man. Listen, obedience is not static. Obedience entails moving with the cloud by day and the fire by night. Obedience means you're going to walk by faith, not by sight. You cannot sit paralyzed in a spot and think you're walking with God. Refusing to let a season go will eventually become an act of disobedience, which becomes an open door for greater problems. Now, here are the problems. In fact, I put down these problems, and then I put in parentheses. Demons are the following. 
If you refuse to let a season go, let me, let me just share with you some things that you will be susceptible to. I'm going to go through this quickly. You will become susceptible to deception. I'm just Go back to King Saul. King Saul refused to understand that the season had changed. God was moving on. David was coming to the forefront. Yes, Saul was disobedient. A part of that, of his disobedience, was seasonal change. And he refused. He refused to embrace obedience to God, and it opened up his door to deception. That's what happens to people. You're not, you're not where you're supposed to be. You're out of the pipeline. I mean, these are, these are significant things to consider. When you refuse to let the season go, you're susceptible to anger. Why is that? Because you're frustrated because your season that you're in, which is now changing, is now frustrating to you. And you're angry about it. Because you won't let some season go. You're susceptible to depression. Depression. Things will never change. Things will never be any different. I believe in a sovereign God, but a sovereign God oftentimes wants us to, to make, make a move in his sovereignty. And, and when we don't, it can be depressing. Number four, anxiety. How many of you know when, you, when, you, when you're having to move into something new, it causes anxiety? Now, anxiety in and of itself uh, isn't necessarily altogether wrong. I think there's always some level of anxiety in journeying with the Lord because he asks us to do things that we can't always, you know, rationalize every point or pinpoint everything that's going to happen. But what happens is you become, it becomes this stronghold because your anxiety will continue to be maintained in that season you won't let go of. Um, number five, to fear. We've already mentioned a little bit about fear. Number six is to panic. These are things you'll be susceptible to. Because your resource won't be in the old season. Your, your, your help isn't there. The Lord has moved on, and you're standing still. You've got to continue your journey. And then I think the last one I put up there was frustration, and, and we mentioned that as well, frustration. There will always be feelings. There will always be feelings and emotions about letting go and laying hold of the next season. But that's the key. Are you letting your last season go or are you holding on? Because I'm telling you, there's going to be, you can't be, a, see, you're not a baby forever. You have to let go and, and, and be a child. You can't be a child forever. You got to let go and be a teenager. You can't be a teenager forever. You got to let go and be an adult. You got to let, Paul said, putting those things which are behind. I press forward. As I prepared for this message, I thought about how seasons change. You know, in our country, we don't understand this, but our country has changed through the years from a farm economy or an agrarian economy to an industrial economy, which is steel and textile, to finally we're in what we call the technology economy or the dot-com economy. You know what's interesting? As these economies shift and change, as each season comes and as it goes, there will always be people who will lose their jobs, they will sink into fear, and they will do everything they can to hold on to the past 
or there will be those who will see what the new season is, they will lay hold of it, and they will prosper. Every seasonal change, there's like this fork in the road for each one of us. And the fork in the road is this. I can hunker down, I can hold on to this season, and eventually it'll evaporate and dry up, or I can, I can move as inadequate as I feel, I can move forward into the new season, and I can literally prosper in this new season. And it happens all the time. And let me tell you something about our government, and I understand this has to be nuanced properly, but a lot of times our political leaders nuance these seasonal changes by trying, by trying to entrench people in old seasons when they should be helping them out of that season and moving them into that next season. I see, you see, Anna's, I went back to school, and I'm here to tell you, when I went back to teach at college, I felt like I was so out of my element. I knew everything that these students needed to know, but I'm looking at technology and hitting online things, and they take their tests online, and I mean, I'm just, I was overwhelmed. And this is my choice. My choice is I can go into class, as all of my students have their laptops up, hooked into the internet, doing all that they do. Do you understand when they come in to do their essay examinations, they aren't doing them, by, they're all doing them on a computer. Now that may not sound like a big deal, but there are certain big deals to grading and other things that have just, that put me on a big learning curve. And here's my choice. I could, I could sit there and say, no, I demand a school that's going to do it the way I did it in my season. I could do that, and I would be entrenched and probably impoverished. Or I can say, I'm on this curve, and I don't know. And I could start to humble myself and find people who could help me and begin to access a new season. And in accessing that new season, all of a sudden, God can begin to prosper things and open things. Are you getting the illustration? Unfortunately, in America, we cry out to the government to provide everything. We want safety nets, and I'm not against all safety nets, but we want, we want, we want, we want to make sure that the way we have it is the way we're always going to have it, and I'm telling you, and, and this is the problem even with, even with our unemployment benefits. I think it's good to have unemployment benefits, but not perpetual unemployment benefits because we're not entrenching you in your old way. We're trying to get you to move into a new season. Almost every area of life, I think in church as well as in our civic arena, is having to figure out and walk into a new season. And we have to determine, do we really want to prosper? And if we do, then we have to figure out, what's that season? And Lord, I'm going to walk into it. Because to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Amen. Stand with me, will you?